Father, we thank you now that we can uh, turn to you and uh, turn to your word. And I want to pray for Harriet, Lord, as uh, she's just feeling a little bit under the weather this morning. And uh, would you just uh, help her gain her strength even now as we're praying. And, and may Harriet know a touch from God in her body right now. And as we turn to your word, uh, Father, on this uh, Lord's Day, an opportunity that we have now to gather around your word and worship you through it, um, would you form our thoughts and shape our behaviors so that they more and more conform to your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Ephesians. And if you're visiting with us today or just sort of new in the last uh, three or four weeks, um, we're, starting, we're, we're turning to sort of the middle of the book or near the end of the book, Ephesians chapter 5. And that's because we've been actually teaching from this book for almost a year, but we've been taking breaks along the way, and we just stepped out of it for another six weeks. Um, during this past six weeks, we uh, journeyed to Nineveh and uh, talked about Jonah. Uh, we had uh, uh, the Easter weekend and uh, learned how the resurrection changes everything. Um, last Sunday, Pastor Gerald uh, guided us through, again, the comfort of the Lord in our lives and how we can comfort other people. And so now we come back... Um, to this uh, book of Ephesians. And a lot has happened in that time. Uh, I have a daughter-in-law now, a new daughter-in-law, and uh, they've been married just over a week, and that's been great. And so that's one, um, one big event now that's off our yearly calendar. Some of you have been wondering, too, um, about these little black um, Bibles that we collected for North Korea, which was part of our 24-7 prayer, as we prayed for the persecuted church, and we read about the persecuted church, and then we collected funds so that they could train workers and send in Bibles. Well, we've got a subtotal so far, and actually I saw a few more of them come in today, so they'll be added to it, but uh, over $1,375 has been raised through coins um, to help uh, North Korea. So thank you for your concern for North Korea, and it's just one more small way that we can help as a congregation, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as they try and share the gospel in a very, very closed um, country. So a lot has taken place, and now we come back to uh, this book of Ephesians. And where we're picking up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, begins another subsection in the book. So it seemed like a great place to break, and now a great, great place to come back to. And uh, for the next uh, about eight weeks, until we hit the beginning of July, we're going to be looking at this subsection. And it's a fascinating part of the Bible because it takes the application of the grace of God. Um, we've been talking about how when you become a Christian, you, God pours out grace upon you. He does amazing stuff for us. And, and so part of a Christian life is responding to God's grace. And we're going to find that part of that response to what God has done for us impacts our marriages, impacts our home life, and impacts our, um, our, how we are in the workplace. Uh, so it has a, a direct influence on husband and wife relationships, on parent-child relationships, and on employee-employer relationships. And you think, well, Christianity doesn't get more practical than that. And those are probably three of the most critical areas of our lives. Work, marriage, and family. And we are going to see over the next eight weeks how God's grace actually touches us in those areas. But one of the things that I have stressed for uh, the years that I have been here and will continue to stress is this um, amazing intimate relationship between doctrine and life. Uh, sometimes people will come and they'll say, Paul, why don't you just preach more practical stuff? We just need more practical stuff. Other times people will come and say, Paul, we need more doctrine. Give us doctrine. Well, the truth is you need both. 
because doctrine influences your actions. And actions are shaped by doctrine. And so as we go into talking about the husband and wife relationship uh, this morning and for the next two or three weeks, we're going to see how understanding a real important truth about God's Word impacts our marriages. And if you want to have a strong and healthy and vibrant marriage, the way God has designed us to be from the creation of the world, then this is a doctrine that you need to grasp and you need to understand. And the doctrine is the relationship of Christ to the church and the church to Christ. And as we read this passage, you will see time and again how these two are interrelated and that how husbands are supposed to learn from Christ and how wives are supposed to learn from the church about how we are to function best in a marriage relationship. And as I've been thinking about this, marriage loses much of its significance if you divorce it from the doctrine of Christ and the church. And, and, and when you understand how, how marriage is related to the doctrine of Christ and the church, you'll understand why living together is not a good thing. You'll understand why being unequally yoked puts such a strain on a marriage relationship. You'll understand why the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. You'll understand why divorce is such a, 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 a something that is that God looks down upon and it, it breaks His heart when that happens in relationships. We'll understand how sex is best worked out in a marriage relationship because there's this intimate connection between a marriage and Christ and the church. Having said that, you're beginning to maybe hear from what I'm saying is that. The Christian view of marriage is utterly unique. You will not find what I'm going to talk about for this morning and the next couple of weeks. You won't find it in any secular books on marriage. You won't find it in the vast majority of marriage courses that you will take out there. You will not even find it held or understood by the majority of people. Because this is something that, that I don't think even the church talks about enough. But I want to at least attempt to, pro, uh, to, to paint the broad strokes of how the physical union of a man and wife is intimately reflected and modeled after the spiritual union of Christ and his church. And if there's anything that you remember from this morning, uh, and I hope you remember a little bit, but it's maybe this one sentence this morning. That marriage is a visible expression of an invisible reality. Marriage is a visible expression of an invisible reality. The physical expression is the union of a man and wife or woman. The spiritual or the invisible reality is the relationship of Christ to the church and of the church to Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20. Two, it says, this mystery is profound. He's talking about the mystery of the marriage relationship and the mystery of the church and Christ. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so what he's going to begin to tell us is that your marriage relationship is modeled after and reflects Christ's relationship with the church. 
One of the things that you will learn as you read Scripture is that physical realities, God has given us many physical realities because they're things that we can wrap our heads around, we can touch them, we can, we can see them, we can, we can conceptualize them. But behind those physical realities is a spiritual reality. And God often uses physical things in our lives to teach us spiritual truths. And that's what we find when we look at marriage. The marriage that God has designed or marriage that God has designed has been made in heaven, but it's forged out on earth. And it's destined to last for all eternity. One man wrote, As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. And I would say that marriage can only be properly understood when we understand this doctrine of Christ and the church, of how Christ so loves the church, and how the church responds with, with submission to Christ's love and leadership over the church. And it is impossible to understand marriage without the context of Christ's relationship to the church. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture. And as I listen, listen to the way that this doctrine is woven through the practical relationship between a husband and a wife. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Do you want to know the best marriage manual in the world? It's the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the Bible. If you want to know the best marriage manual in the world, pick up a, a systematic theology or a doctrine of the church. And as a man, as a husband, study Christ's love for the church. Pattern your marriage after Christ's love for the church. And as a wife, if you want to know what it means to relate to your husband, study the church. Study how the Bible talks about the church and its relationship with Christ, how, how it responds to Christ, how it works with Christ, how it, how, it, how it reaches its full potential as it relates with Christ. The best manual you will ever find on marriage is to study the doctrine of Christ and his relationship with his church.
So what is it then that sets apart Christian marriage from all other views of marriage? What is it that, that makes Christian marriage different from, from any other explanation of marriage that you will find out there? Well, the first thing, and we're just looking at the doctrine of the church, and then we will look at how, how wives and husbands relate to one another the next couple of weeks. But the first thing is that marriage is to reflect Christ's headship over the church. These are words that trouble people, and I hope that if you just listen and, and track with me that over the next three or, three or four weeks, they won't trouble you any longer. But headship means something. It's not just a, a word that's thrown in the Scripture for no reason at all. And so it's not without reason that, that Paul says that, that the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. There has been a raging debate over the last 50, 60 years about what this word means. In the end of the day, after uh, investigating over 2,300 uses of this word in ancient Greek and in biblical Greek word, it is almost universally accepted that that word can only mean authority. It can only mean authority. Christ is over the church. Christ is the one that's the authority over the church. And as we will see when we look at the relationship of husbands to their wives, we will understand that it is a creational issue, not a cultural issue. We will understand that it is a permanent um, relationship while we are on this earth, and it's not for only certain generations. We will understand that it is a universal expectation, not just a geographical expectation or for some countries and not for other countries. And Christ's authority over the church helps husbands understand what it means to be the head of their relationship and their home. As you understand, or as, as we understand Christ being the head of the church, we understand that he acts as its savior. He gave himself for her. He takes responsibility for her well-being. He provides for her safety, her security, and her growth. We saw earlier in the book of Ephesians how Christ, it says he gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles and he gave teachers and he gave evangelists so that it might grow strong, so that it might mature, so that it might be safe, so that it would be discerning. And so Christ gave gifts to the church. That was how he led the church. He gave himself to the church. He invested himself in the church. He served the bride. He became um, obedient to the to or, or he became obedient in life to his bride, the church. Philippians 2, I think, describes being head over the church with one of the best descriptions ever, where it says, Christ humbled himself. He set aside his prerogatives as God. He set aside his power. He set aside his authority. He humbled himself and he became obedient. He took on the form of a servant, even obedient to the point of death. That is what it means to be an authority over the church, to humble one's self. In the letters to the church of the, uh, in Revelation in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we find seven letters to the churches. What beautiful letters they are of Christ's leadership and, and headship over the church. And we see there he has an intimate knowledge of the church. He knows its struggles. He knows its weaknesses. He knows its sore spots. He knows where it's going off track. He gently says, come back this way. Come back this way. Well, he, he, he encourages it. He understands his bride. Is this how you understand marriage? Is this how men you understand what it means to be the heads in your homes? 
And so we see from uh, the, the Bible that the first thing we learn about Christian marriage is patterned after Christ's headship and leadership over the church. The second thing that we see is that marriage is to reflect the church's submission to Christ. Here we pick up the theme of Ephesians 5, um, 15 to 21, which we looked at. And it's part of walking in wisdom. And what does it mean to walk in the wisdom? It means to be filled with the Spirit. And what does being filled by the Spirit look like? It means that we worship together. We worship amongst the people of God. It means that we are full of thanksgiving. And it means that we know how to relate to authority. Being filled with the Spirit helps us know the authority structures that God has established for our good and how we relate to them. And submission is a word that's greatly misunderstood in our society and in our culture. And there's a great deal of rejection of submission out of hand because we want to reject authority out of hand. We are not a culture that likes authority. We are not a culture that responds well to authority. Sometimes we think that submission means suppression. We think that it means I push down who I am. I push down what I'm good at. I throw away my gifts in order to respond properly to this authority. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. The church does not submit to Christ by singing a little softer, does it? It does not submit to Christ by exercising its intelligence a little bit less or seeking to be a a little influence in the world. Rather, the church is summoned to arrange all of its energies, all of its abilities under the one grand purpose of working together with its groom, Christ. The church is never called to suppress its gift, but to discover them and to use them for God's glory. And the church, into submitting to Christ, does never advocate its responsibilities nor abandon its gifts. And I wonder if we run into trouble sometimes with this word because we've not sorted out yet in our minds that, that equality of value does not require identity of roles. You need to think on that one throughout this week. Equality of value does not equal identity of roles. And we won't go into this this morning other than I just want to drop it on your plate if you're interested in studying this a little bit more. And it's a phrase in theology that we call the economic trinity. And it's a way of looking at the Trinity in, in its relationship to each other. The Trinity, if you don't understand that, is, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is one, but that He exists in three persons. And those three persons are equally God, and yet they have roles. And in those roles, there is submission and there is authority. And we see it in the perfection of the Godhead, and it's a beautiful and a wonderful thing, Why do we rail against it so much in the other authority structures that God has established in this world? So relating to authority has nothing to do with value and equality of worth. And so as we think about marriage, we will learn about marriage when we see how the church submits to Christ and take our cues from that. Another thing that we see is marriage is to reflect Christ's love for the church. Marriage is to reflect Christ's love for the church. As Christ loved the church. Have you ever thought about that, men? 
in your relationship with your wife, have you ever thought about it that way and said, how did Christ love the church? That's how I'm supposed to love my wife. You won't hear that in secular marriage books. You won't hear that model given forth to us. Men, your model of marriage is not your father, however good he might have been. Your model for what it means to be a husband is Christ. And how Christ loved the church. You know, we sing about the love of Christ, don't we? We, we, so much of our worship and our adoration is towards the love of Christ. But do we understand what we're saying? Do we reflect on the content of that love? Do we understand that Christ's love for us began before even we were born? It began before the foundation of the world. That Christ saw down um, uh, the, the path of creation and he set his love on people. And even before Kath and I started dating, I set my eyes on her and I began to like her. And quickly, it began to be love. And even before we were married, I started to form thoughts of love for her. And so, in, in, a, in a way, if you're thinking about getting married, you, you model that on Christ and you think, okay, how can I love this woman who I hope will be my wife down the road? How do I learn from Christ what that looks like? Christ demonstrated his love to us. I've already talked about how his love meant, meant humiliation, how he set aside his prerogatives and he took on the form of a servant. Paul writes about uh, the love of Christ and he says, I hope you will come to understand it. He says, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. His love is measureless. His love is deep. Have you ever been offended by the love of Christ? Have you ever been demeaned when you think about Christ's love for you? When we think about the love of Christ, it instills value in us. It instills significance in us. We never are felt worthless or degraded or incapable under the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that prays for us. It's the love of Christ that keeps his words to us. It's the love of Christ that thinks the best of us. It's the love of Christ that opens up access to God for us. It's the love of Christ that gives us peace. We sing that song, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and free. And I hesitate to say this, but I'll take a chance. Wives, could you put your husband's name in there? The love of Paul, how rich and pure, how measureless and free. That's our model, man. And our wives should be able to take any love song that we sing about Christ's love for us and put your name in it and experience the love of Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Marriage is modeled after Christ's self-sacrifice for the church. Notice what it says in Ephesians. It said that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a clear reference to the cross. It's a clear reference to the death of Christ for his church, for his bride. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 
Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not graciously give us all things? One of the commentators that I was reading um, this past couple of weeks was Martin Lloyd-Jones. And again, loved ones, I want you to hear the connection between doctrine and practice. Lord Jones writes, How many of us have realized that we are always to think of the married state in terms of the doctrine of the atonement? The doctrine of the atonement, if you don't understand that word, is the doctrine of Christ dying for us, of Christ giving his life for us. And he goes on to say, is that our customary way of thinking of marriage? Is that how we instinctively think of marriage? In the context of the atonement. Every communion that we take should not only be a reflection of Christ's love for us, but as men, it should be a reminder to us of how we are to love our brides. Giving ourselves up for them as Christ Gave himself up for the church. And the purpose of this, and we'll look at this a few weeks down the road. I simply say enough of this is to, is to present his bride in all her beauty and her glory. To sanctify her. To, to, to nourish her. To cherish her. It's like he stands back so he can push his bride forward. And it says in another place, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to good. Men, again, that's our task, to give our lives so that there wouldn't be any sin in our homes, there wouldn't be any sin in our relationships, that there would be this cleansing effect from the word of God and from our lives as we model Christ in the church. And so this suggests to me what part of our role is. And Christ never gives up on us. Christ always has our best interests in mind as a church. Husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved his church. Marriage is to reflect the oneness of the church and Christ. This is staggering stuff for me. And this is where this sort of physical, spiritual connection comes in place here but if you have been around christian circles enough you know that we we are here everyone who is a christian we we come part of the body of christ it's a really a rather amazing thing that we 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 become one with one another and not only do we become one with one another but we become one with christ and the bible talks about us as being the body of christ And that Christ is our head, and we are his hands, we are his feet, we are his eyes, we are his mouth. And we work in this beautiful union together as church in Christ. And and there's this, it's like this beautiful dance between the people of God and Christ, our groom. And there's this union that takes place. And in a very sense, we, we are born out of Christ. And Christ abides in us. It's this beautiful picture of what we are becoming as a church. And Paul says, in the same way, that's what marriage is like. And when when you become married, there's this union that takes place. The Bible says, you know, that a, a man shall leave his mother and father, and he shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You ever notice that? There's something weird that takes place. 
When, when, when the longer a couple is married, they just start to complete sentences. They, they, they start to look alike. Unfortunately, some of them start to dress alike. Um, I've told my wife, I will never dress like you. Um, I don't have her legs, so that will never work. But um, anyhow, there, this oneness begins to take place. And there's just this, it's an emotional union. It's an intellectual union. It's a physical union. It's a spiritual union. It's a financial union. There's a oneness that takes place. And have you ever thought, loved ones, that your oneness with your spouse is meant to reflect the oneness of Christ and his church. And so as we look at the model, we look at our example, we see that, that just as um, Christ is one with the church, that's what we are to model our marriage relationship after. And so as we We'll look at this over the next couple of weeks. I, I just challenge you and I urge you, if you want to do some homework, if you want to do some studying, pick up a, a book or go onto the internet and start understanding or just read the Bible and look up references to the church and, and how it responds to Christ. Look at references to Christ and how he loved the church and say, I want to begin to incorporate that into my marriage. I want to begin to have my marriage reflect this beautiful union of Christ and the church. And so I hope you understand a little bit more this morning how marriage is a visible expression of an invisible reality. That loved ones, your marriage, if it is a Christian marriage, is expressing to people all around you Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. We see marriage then is to reflect Christ's headship over the church. Marriage is to reflect Christ or the church's submission to Christ. Marriage is to reflect Christ's love for the church. Marriage is modeled after Christ's self-sacrifice for the church. Marriage is meant to reflect the oneness of the church and Christ. Loved ones, this is the only manual that you need for marriage. This is the only model that you need to imitate. These are the actions that you and I are to be embracing as married men and women. And as we pattern our marriages after this model, they will not only succeed, but they will thrive. And you know that over the last three or four years, we have been talking about the last part of our mission statement to make fully devoted followers of Christ who what? Who choose to impact their world. And some of you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to share my faith. Well, can I tell you this? Marriage is one of the most unique opportunities that you have to witness the love of Christ for the loss. Do you know that? That your marriage is an evangelistic message to anybody who is watching you. Why does he treat you like that? Why does he love you like that? Why do you want so much to work with him and be a companion of him? And why are you out forging your own life? Because Christ loved the church like my husband loves me. And because the church loves Christ and submits to Christ. And so I am doing the same thing. 
loved ones, the marriage relationship should be one of the most powerful evangelistic tools that the church has. So if you're married here and you leave here this morning, let your light shine and may people see Christ reflected in your relationship with your spouse.